Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 3rd of May 2021, which is Bank Holiday Monday, and I'm sure all the grain trade will be waking up early just to get the podcast news to, even though they're on their day off and got lots of jobs to do. So what we have is a unbelievably exciting market. If we look specifically at the new crop market this week, it's traded as high as 195 on the Nov Futures, which technically X Futures store for kind of the following May-June time to a store member just about touched £200 a tonne. It didn't really quite get there. It's like hitting the bar and we think, well, well, we keep putting pressure on it, it'll get there in the end. The market since then has dropped about £12 or £13 in, in a hurry because when we launched our satellite, the Doing Grain independent satellite launch that we had from Norfolk this week, it's there to do a number of things for the country, look after the military because they can't afford to do it themselves and obviously keep an eye on the weather forecast because you can't rely on the BBC weather forecast telling you it's going to be dry for three weeks. So our own satellite is cheap at the price and it tells us that it's going to rain next week, which is very exciting. But while we're up there, we noticed that the Russians, this will be very helpful to the Ministry of Defence, the Russians have in fact pulled all of their troops out of the area around the Ukraine, but they've left all their equipment. And that's an old Indian trick where they quickly run back, climb in and carry on. But anyway, at this point, the withdrawal did not include the equipment, just so you all know these things. This is the benefits of having a satellite. Anyway, so let's just review the new crop. Why did it go as high as that? What is all the excitement about? Well, it's a weather market. Is the fact that it's going to rain in northeast Norfolk the changing factor? Well, I would all like to believe that's true, but it isn't. It's about other countries, as we've said many times before. It's about other weather markets. The long-term biggest influence, in my opinion, is the corn crop, the troubles in Brazil, and the issues in the States where there has recently been some rain, and it's been rather too cold, and there are excessive rain in some key minute areas, which may delay some planting. But it's about the longer-term weather prospect for the American crop being warm and dry for three months hence, which is underlyingly a concern. So the world has been very firm, and we are benefiting on the back of that. So current value for new crop feed wheat it's gone all the way back down to probably 178 again having touched 190 for taking november as the base price so or 188 190 somewhere in that region so that's a pretty explosive sort of price if the market gets back up there again is that the right time to trade well i mean greed says wait for 200 i think it all depends upon what the weather does this rain that's coming could be significant enough to carry it for a good month But again, if the cold weather stops and it turns into a heat wave, it it won't be enough. So we've got to just keep a very close eye on it. The one thing I'm certain of, we won't be trading feed wheat sub 150. I just don't believe that's going to happen. Old crop feed wheat, you can still make £200 to our next farm for June. 
It is a favourite subject that I eat and drink and sleep. The futures for May is it got up to 212. It's currently valued around about 203 on the futures X store. So yeah, the interesting battle. It doesn't appear that there is enough wheat to be tendered. Is there a technical issue within the contract? Is the ICE exchange allowing someone to have an AA in there, which I personally don't believe they should be? That's distorting the open position. If that's true, then the open position, if taken is completely red and there's no AAs in there is still too big. I can't see where the futures come from. It is not coming from East Anglia unless the price goes up significantly. If it doesn't go up significantly, there won't be a tender out of this part of the world. But it's been a good one and, you know, it's been, I would say, you know, for the anoraks, exciting. Oilseed rape, Ian just gave me a message about that before I started recording to say that just because May rape futures went up to €700, Euros, doesn't mean to say that UK old crop rapeseed was worth an extra £200 a tonne. That's just an example of allowing the French to trade futures. They're completely and utterly clueless about most things, as we know. And in fact, what they did was just kind of like screwed some poor bugger who was stuck with the contract and said, you can get out if you give me €700, which is slightly harsh. But that's, you know, we're told that's the best market because of all the liquidity. The reality is, if ever there is a closing down of a market, the one that gets the true and absolute screwing is the French. The UK, which has a potential to hold someone to ransom on this May week, will probably sort itself out like gentlemen somewhere around about 210, 215 at the top unless someone really is playing a silly buggers game, in which case, let's hope he's French and it's £400 a tonne. Anyway, with that, have a fantastic week, short week that it is. I'm sorry it's a bit cold and let's hope the sun comes back shortly. Thank you. The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This week, I've got with me my elder brother. I've already had a younger brother on taking the mickey out of my childhood football team, but uh, that was many months ago. And anyone who's got an older brother will know that there is someone in their life that says, come on, let's go and climb these cliffs at Ilfracombe. And you go, all right then, because he's a big brother, you have to follow and can't say no. And you find yourself at least half to three quarters of the way up when all the locals at the bottom are screaming at you to come down. And none of you can work out what the fuss is about. So the man who's nearly killed me on several occasions and chopped my fingers off is my brother, David. Good morning. He didn't know he's going to be recorded this morning because we, we got together yesterday to scatter my dad's ashes on a piece of ground that he was farming in the late 50s. And when he went there, said, this field has very low potash. So one day I'd like my ashes scattered on this to improve things. That's what we did, isn't it? It was a brilliant. It followed on from what you said at his funeral, really, which was about how... He was able to storm into Lodge Farm in Bressingham and to try as hard as to improve it in his youth, in his vigour. And I think yesterday it was like setting him in stone in terms of your memories of him in that youthful place that we all knew him in. Yeah, good, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, reminiscing about my first tractor crash and all the <laughs> other things that you could pull out of the bag. The problem with Ulfricum Cliffs wasn't <clears throat> that I'd led him up there, it's just that he wasn't a very good climber. 
I wasn't, <laughs> relative to you, but then, you know. My role has changed now. My role now is the man with all the certainty and uh, the wisdom that he claims to have. My job is to... I'm, I'm one of the few people who, who says, that's bollocks. <laughs> oh, this is going to go well, isn't it? Anyway, yeah, OK, we all listen. But yesterday, we actually got together with you know brothers and sisters, all five of us, two girls and three boys, and... Um, it was a trip back in memory lane, except for Liz, who was only a baby when she was there. She couldn't, so most of the mem- reminiscing she missed out on, didn't she? But uh, Skylarks, tell me about Skylarks. Yeah, well, you know, it's the, it's the sound of my childhood. I don't know everybody who loves the sound of birdsong. I particularly can recognise, or it's an easy song to recognise, but it really just has such a strong evocation of my childhood and a particular, almost a particular field. And we walked across that area yesterday and sure enough, every time I ever walk across there in the spring, there's a skylark. And that's an area where I know I can find one. I'd absolutely love to hear a cuckoo. Where are all the cuckoos? That's my... Uh, I I haven't heard one this year. Last year I did hear one, which was a real treat. But now they seem to have gone. Apparently this year there's a delay in birds coming back which in some sense is a good thing because of bird flu. There's a big outbreak of bird flu in Poland, apparently, and maybe the summer will see it off again, but it isn't great. You know, with the pandemic number 34 on its way, that's probably the next variant. Yeah, well, now I'm back in Norfolk. I'm hoping to hear a cuckoo or... Yeah, you're surprised you haven't. Well, I saw a couple of swallows yesterday in Bessingham. I didn't see any any swallows yet. I'd seen some sand martins off the cliffs here, but not any swallows. So I was really... Pleased to see some swallows in Bristol. Let's talk about the fact you left the county 25 years ago? 35 years ago? 40 years ago. Oh, blimey. Didn't realise <laughs> we were that old. He's lying about his age <laughs> again. <laughs> no, everyone knows how old I am. No, I think 62. Uh, <laughs> I'm playing my last game of footy tonight. I've packed my bag to play football. I have got my football bag together. I'm playing against Fakenham veterans. I shouldn't be playing. I totally accept that. But I went, yeah, all right. I'll put my name down. And uh, this morning I got I found my boots and I got my shin pads out. You have to wear shin pads now. And I can't be like Georgie Best and have my socks rolled down and look all dishevelled with long hair because that's gone as well. But there's a vague excitement at that prospect. How about that? Footy. That is fantastic. I'm very proud of you for your competitive nature and your determination to win that gets you where you are. I'm not your opposite, but I'm, uh, and I've, I've always been better at everything, um, <laughs> football included, but I just haven't got <clears throat> that killer instinct. Okay, we'll take it as that. You were very good at football, you just couldn't be bothered. I remember playing for South Walsham when they had a sort of youth development, a reserve team thing, and I remember playing in a game where you turned on a sixpence and whack this shot from it was just really brilliant, really a real envy sort of moment. It hit the post and came out, uh, but it was brilliant. And then a little while later, I did actually shuffle around and score a real mishit shot sort of in the corner. But I scored and you didn't. <laughs> and in the best you know, possible way, I have no memory of that at all. No, I but do... you, didn't, you didn't give a shit. You didn't care. No, did no, I, if we were playing a long game, if, I remember playing for the school somewhere and there was like, you know, cracked ice and snow on the pitch. And it was 1-1 halfway through the second half, and I thought, what are we doing here? <laughs> Where you would have been, I want to win! I've got to win. Give me the ball! You know, And yeah. I was just cold. Yeah, I was cold too. So just you know, 40 years away, you know, so the observation is obviously 40 years ago there were thousands more birds, the wildlife was much more prominent, much more broken down buildings and all sorts of ruralness. Well, I miss red plastic string and untidy villages and mud on the road, but yesterday's lesson really for me was that the 
landscape and the buildings and everything, they just change over years. And in 50 years, we, we haven't lived at Bressingham for nigh on 50 years now. Yeah. And you can see 50 years of difference here. Some massive trees have grown. And it makes you appreciate that 50 years before that, it probably looked a lot different as well. well so everything changes. Everything well, changes. When I left Norfolk, there was a mile of dual carriageway. Cringleford Bypass yeah. was the only bit of dual carriageway in the county. And when yeah. I came back, they bridged the River Yare at... Near the sewage farm. Posick. Yeah. But having said that, I was back a couple of weeks, went to a garage to get my car serviced, and I bumped into somebody, and wherever I did my apprenticeship came up, and suddenly the guy I was talking to said, oh, yeah, what happened to Lenny Cogman, the guy who ran the stores at Brooms? And then we worked out that he was the guy who supplied these metal strips that I used to screw around the rubbing strakes on the hire boats. And so he was the guy that drilled the holes in them, and I was the guy that, that filled those holes with screws. So we both held the same bit of metal 45 years ago. David went off to be a boat builder. But a couple of facts, right? David <laughs> passed his 11 plus. He's infinitely more intelligent. And then managed at the end of his school career to not take any exams because he got expelled. <laughs> <laughs> we won't dwell on that. I think we just agreed that I would leave. Yeah, OK. Anyway, several years later, the headmaster who expelled you wrote to you and said, Dear Dewing, <laughs> glad to see you doing something useful. And he sent me a letter addressed to D. Dewing, Tonga, <coughs> South Pacific, and I found it in the post office roast, post restaurant mail. Yeah, and there's more, isn't there? I mean, the fact when you went to Tonga on voluntary service overseas, you sort of left us. You were leaving your girlfriend. That was a very dramatic way to do it, wasn't it? <laughs> it was weak. It was weak, and um, I should have just said, you know what, let's not do this anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't, so I had to find a job 14,000 miles away. <laughs> anyway, that still tickles me. Anyway, so you come back to the county having, you know, Hertfordshire, Hoddesdon was where you lived for all that time. You know, the difference uh, is Norfolk turning into what Hoddesdon was 40 years ago. Are we getting suburbanised? Well, I think there's a lot more movement. I think, I think ultimately the short answer is no. Norfolk has no industry other than farming. If you go to West Norfolk, Nobody's moving out of West Norfolk to go to Essex. So all the original people are still here. Mm-hmm. All the, the farming families and all those types of people are still here. And when you walk through Norwich or you, you... Anyway, you do hear that lovely accent that you can relate to and understand. And I can still bring it on if I you need to. get and in fact, it's creeping back into my life. My, my, my wife's <laughs> noticed that I've become a bit more Norfolk since I've uh, moved here. Yeah. So, no, I, I think it has... Like we were saying about how everything has changed in 50 years, things have always changed to that extent. And I think if you'd gone back 50 years earlier, you would have been surprised to see how different it was then. So I think it's only changing at the rate at which everything else is changing at, and perhaps even a bit slower. My observation, that probably noticed people, you know, changing the expectations. The housing thing we did at Munsley, where we're recording this, 80% of the people who bought houses here were from the south. Essex, mm, mm. you know, Hertfordshire, you know, lots and lots of people in the south are moving to this county, which brings in their own expectations and ways of doing yeah, things. Yeah, and there's a cult, the whole world, and I, and I don't miss, from my time down there, I don't miss the culture of dissatisfaction. Well, it's, it's, it's getting a quick, yeah, you are massive, some of that, or, you know, oh, you dug me down, I want a new door. And whereas the locals are a little bit more inclined to go, I'll, try, I'll fix that sort of thing. Is it, I don't know. We... No, I think, I think people's, you know, ultimately that people's natures are the same and similar wherever you go. That's my experience. I think if you, and you would, you, I know that you agree with me in terms of 
um, you kind of get out what you put in. You know, people are the same. You'll find people are pretty much the same as you wherever where you go. That's, yeah, that's the story of life, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is, and it's true. And people, my experience globally is that there are the proportion of ratio of people that you like and dislike is the same wherever you go. Well, that's as an individual, isn't it? My point about the changing culture up here is there is a clash in the, up here. There's a large amount of kind of standoffishness. We don't. There's no real warm embrace, but there's no animosity as such people wait until you play your cards to show what sort of person you are yeah but, but i don't i don't know if they're importing it or they're losing it in coming here because they recognize that when you drive from here to north walsham or wherever there isn't a queue behind you and then they haven't got a pull out of a junction in front of you just to get onto the road do you think it will convert them to calm down a bit and not be quite so... so the people, there's people on this site that I talk to that will say, you know, God, you know, so they've realised they haven't locked their door and then they probably don't need to worry about that so much, you know. Yeah. So I think it's a two-way street. I think there is a bit more entitlement and dissatisfaction. Is that you not know? just a social media thing now? The people... Well, I think, I think you can't avoid that, yeah. So. Yeah, OK. I don't think that it's all a one-way street... And I think that it's partly demographic, you know, richer, these people who, whose properties have gone up hugely in value in, yes, in Essex, well, it's a yeah. demographic well. thing, and we've got this road link now and all that, so I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not frightened of a load of people coming to Norfolk. No, I'm not frightened, I'm vaguely occasionally irritated if someone has a kind of expectation that doesn't fit with my expectation of what, they, what they're expecting from me. There is a kind of unwritten rule about where you get pushed too fast. Different types, you know, you, you, you stereotypical mm. Northeasterners, Yorkshire people, Welsh people, you know, Liverpudlian people, that you can label them. You know, we have to announce if ever in a conversation, you have to come out with the jokes before someone else comes out with the jokes. Otherwise, I'll crack the same old jokes about carrot crunching, sleeping with your sister, being a bit dim, having six fingers, all of those things. Is your defence ahead of the oncoming obvious comment? I think probably my exposure to that, because once you get inside BM25, it is true that there's all these cultures and groups of people who, you know, who live in groups, who, you know, Won't step define their, their, yeah. their cultures and all that sort of thing by staying within their own specific racial or cultural or religious groups. Mm. My strength I took from all that experience is that I kind of filter the bad ones out when I meet them. You know, I, I don't want to work with dissatisfied, yeah. grumpy, ugly people. And so maybe I bring some of that immunity here. I'm not as, you know, I, I kind of have a, uh, a strategy ahead of time. Yeah, spot you them. haven't developed yet. No, no, well, I, I don't need to. My customer base, are the, the rules are simple. People do pay their bills. And there are there's awkward moments, but largely the game is played by people who've been doing it pretty well the same way. I'm, I'm recognised as a sheriff of Nottingham, because I'm a grain merchant, and the farmers, all in their little heads, believe they're Robin Hood, <laughs> just like I did when I was a kid when my dad was a farmer. But, you know, the, the, the realities of life, as long as you know that that's the rules, you can't really live by Just wondering who I am. Oh, you're, you're Guy of Gisborne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You'd I... like to be made Marion. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm, I don't know. I'll, I'll think about it. I'm definitely not Fryer Tuck, although I've, I've got a similar sort of a ball patch. Yeah, and belly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so agricultural, you know. So, yes. no, here's, so let me tell you about Norfolk. The Norfolk for me, that the thing that I didn't get when I lived here, and we, because as a family, we didn't ever go out. We were just at home. My dad was milking the cow morning and night. Oh, we went to church a lot. Yeah, but that was in the village, wasn't it? You know, so we didn't, we didn't, we, you know, I never went to the coast. We didn't go. To restaurants and that sort of thing. So I'm back in the county. I get up every Sunday morning and I go to a different beach and I go for a walk if it's not raining. 
and it's a beautiful county. It's open. I drove here this morning. I, I wasn't expected to come here. I'm supposed to be putting some gates up somewhere else, but I've driven here. There was nobody in front of me, nobody behind me. I drove along Walcott Beach. You can see where the tide is. You can see the birds. And when, I, when you rang me up and said, turn around, I'm, I'm at Munsey now, I came back. I could pretty much turn around in the road. You know, people who, t- who think that it's busy here are yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah, OK. Noted. <laughs> Noted. I had to wait at least a minute the other day at Aylesham, have you yeah, know? Yeah, <laughs> definitely mind, you know. And when, when I drove down to Poole the other week, the, somewhere between, I don't know, Royston and Chesant, all the other rules cut in, you know, where you've got to barge out in front of people and hold your place in the queue, and well, and that's what it's like. That is just how it is, and maybe it's, and I suspect it's been like that for, for in terms of the comparative difference. No, they should pull out with their you horse. Know, I think I suspect when you went down there from here in the when it was Roman times, the bloody chariots, you know, they're always <laughs> rushing up. But, you know, I was two chariots back. <laughs> So, no, yesterday, you know, walking around, what was your observations about the countryside around, well, South Norfolk, that first week? Well, yeah, look, I mean, funnily enough, I thought about that. I woke up this morning thinking about that. And Did you? if you look at the difference between, the, the, if you think about Lodge Farm Bressingham 60 years ago, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, well, obviously you, you were a twinkle in your father's eye then, but there were lots of tiny fields that all had hedges and ditches and our father used to have a season that he called hedging and ditching season where he oh, would yeah. trim his hedges and his ditches and burn all the stuff that came out of it when it had dried off and it's a prairie you know the place is absolutely well, all those his little entire pits farm and is nearly in one the corners field. of fields that, yeah. that I would have navigated by are gone they're yeah. they're all unless they've uh, <clears> fallen <throat> into the fortuitous category of of being, you know, inside somebody's paddock or next to the road, they're, they're gone. And so the, the landscape has changed, not in the same way that it always has, perhaps, but perhaps more quickly. I think if you came back in 50 years' time, there'll be a lot more trees. This is about carbon capture and the dynamic of the world and climate change. There will be strategically people being paid for doing it, maybe more regimented, whatever it, but there will be. I mean, that particular prairie that is Bressingham, now there's all of my dad's farm, bar a couple of old old fields, is in one unit, mm. one field of wheat, which which was in good condition. Mm. It was it was actually obviously drilled well. And all right, it was yesterday, it was dry. It's rained overnight up in North Norfolk, which is everything looks ten times better. But the crop looked really quite potentially brilliant, just behind and gagging for rain. But I think with with a little bit of rain, it's going to kick off. So I'm quite optimistic, is my point. Well, I agree. But having said that, I think that one of the things that I recognise and realise is that, let's say that the 60s were an optimistic period. You know, was that because there was so much youth about or there was a lot of focus on youth or because we'd had a war 20 years beforehand and people just felt more optimistic because there wasn't a war? And I am more optimistic than I have been for a long time about these things because... Well, because people are becoming aware of it or because I'm actually quite pessimistic at the moment about the future of the planet and voting, you know... I can help. (laughs) No, you're born with too much optimism. No, 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 I've got to tell you, he's just going to get the word out now, Okay, Here's the thing. When you go to school and they do a science experiment, the teacher burns a bit of magnesium ribbon in front of you and you go, oh... Yeah. in a big bright light and then he says now what happened to all the ingredients of that uh, experiment oh I, I don't know sir you know and he says well they're all still in the room it's all still here and that's my point my point is that we've dug some carbon up and thrown it in the air we've dug a lot, some more carbon up and thrown it in the air we've 
thrown some plastic in the sea, and we've done all sorts of bad things. But my point is that all of the ingredients that form the experiment, which is the planet Earth, are still here. And in a million years' time, when we've all killed each other for the last drop of oil, or less time than that, the Earth's going to be rolling on into the night, healing itself for the next billion years until the sun gets too big. Don't worry about the planet. All the elements that make up the planet are still here. So don't worry about the Earth. The Earth's going to be fine. It's us that okay. be here. Yeah, no, us. Okay, okay. So, so the probability is, you're right, as an individual, for the next generation or two, we're probably quite safe unless there's a war, which is self-induced annihilation. It's the however many billion people who are going to die in other parts of the world who can't afford to, to eat. That's the, the dynamic of what the human race is doing, is coming to a place where there's got to be conflict or there's got to be mass famine. Yeah, but that's, maybe that's a natural process that we've, we're just... Oh, that's all right then. We can't, we can't evolve can't, it out of well, us, don't we? We're, 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 um, should we ask the BBC not to put it on telly then? Because it's like when you see starving children, you sort of think, oh, like that. There's going to be more starving children than there's ever been before. It's coming, you know, the, the price of food this year has gone up dramatically and is on its way up over a period of a decade because we're going to be doing all sorts of green Biden type things to not not plant food and food is suddenly going to become more and more and more expensive. Mm. That is going to create more conflict. Yeah, but if we're just talking about the planet, don't worry, you know, the planet's going to be okay. All the elements that make up all those people that... Yeah, no, okay, survive, so, you know, so yeah, yeah. Okay. ultimately it'll heal itself. If you don't worry about the planet, it's, it's, how, it's the condition about. that we live our lives in that needs to change. We seem to be having trouble evolving as quickly as our technology. That's the real because talking to Marg, our sister, on the way back yesterday, and we were saying the problem is that you can be the most brilliant scientist in the world and know everything, but when you have a baby, it's it's not pre-programmed. It hasn't inherited anything from you. It could be a Stone Age baby, and you could bring it up and tell it that the sun rules everything or whichever religion you want to give it. And it would believe you, you know, we've come this far, but it, we're only one generation away from clubs and skins, you know. Yeah. This is great, actually. I'm going to get you on here again because it's very easy to talk, as you know. We suffer from talking oh, to much. Let's, let's, do, let's just do I'm, one story. I'm going to, I'm the story, exactly the story. I know the story I want to, no, to tell. You're first. Okay, so I'll set the scene. David came back from Tonga. <laughs> He'd been away for three or four years. And, you know, it was great to have him back. And by that time, I'd become a... I'd got my first company car, and I was a rep for Kenneth Wilson. And one day a week, as a penance, Kenneth Wilson made me take this this, this old guy called Arthur Harvey round to see his old customers. And I was going to be introduced to his customers because he was in his 70s. And... Um, and Arthur Harvey used to do service for customers way beyond the power. For example, this is a big build-up before your bit comes in, by the way. <laughs> like, for example, he would get a bag of uh, chemical and he would split it using his wife's kitchen scales to measure out the right number of kilos or grams for each customer. Probably then, ounces. Ounces. No, no <laughs> seven, it was 80. Uh, yeah, three definitely pounds and ounces, yeah. No, kilos. And, and so his scales probably were, you're right. Yeah, so, so anyway, he, he split the back, and he used to do it on his wife's kitchen scales and then give him a quick rinse out. And, yeah. give him a, and you'd, you'd go around there and she'd go, would you like a scone? <laughs> no, thank you. Anyway, so, so Arthur was old school, started on a bike, going around farms, etc. And I was given the job, age 21, to take this old boy around and take all morning to get out, stop somewhere for lunch, before we'd seen a customer, then go and see a customer for three hours and get 10 acres of Temic 10G and a half a bag of fertiliser sale, plus you'll sell me that corn, won't you? And, and oh, yes, I'll have another cake. Uh, it was, was an education. But 
one day I said, I'm going to drop my brother in Norwich. I, I turn up at Arthur's house on the edge of Norwich. And I said, right, Arthur, I've got my brother with me. He's just come back from Tonga. And we're dropping him in the city. Oh, righto, said Arthur. Anyway, Mrs. Harvey came out. No, we went, we went out. So we went into the house. And I'd been back from Tonga about a week. And I'd been travelling for three months in two sets of clothes. And I was really, really brown. As brown as I've ever been. And army surplus then was proper army surplus. I had this uh, mostly sort of American tropical fatigue. So I had shorts and a short-sleeved pocketed shirt on. And I had very short hair. And I, and I had hair, in fact. And Arthur's wife was wore a white apron, went in the kitchen. We had a cup of tea. No, no and she cake. just kept looking at me. Arthur's wife, because she looked at me. And I said hello and all that sort of thing. And they were getting ready to go. And then Arthur's wife looked at me and she said, are you in the army or the navy? And I said, "Well, I'm not in either. I've just been away for a couple of years. I'm back now and a bit brown." She said, "Now tell me, is there got to be another war?" <laughs> and it's a story that I've told ever since to get back into my Norfolk accent. And here I was, a man she'd, she'd seen, you know, people in uniform forty years earlier, thirty-five years earlier, who'd who'd been flying planes out of her village. And and it's a legitimate question. And I said, "No, I, I think you find the Cold War's pretty." you know, cool down now. And she went, there you go, Arthur. We can decorate the kitchen. <laughs> With that happy thought, David, thank you very much for doing a U-turn on, on I won't be so nice next time. <laughs> and there will be a next time, so good on you, thanks. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.